And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Saan Edom, and coming up on the show, we're going to talk about the effect that racial hoaxes have on race relations in our country. You know, we've been talking about in our country in the last couple of years, this racial divide, who's racist, who's not. What do we need to do to bring social justice together? What do we need to do to make it so that we aren't a racist society? And one of the things that keeps popping up and rearing its ugly head are these hoaxes that I think are really causing a problem when it comes to trying to heal the racial divide. Now, there's a many, 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 many other things that are contributing to it as well. But these hoaxes give, I think, fuel and fodder for people to run with them. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And I want to use a story that recently came out. It was about a month ago, and you may have heard about it. And what happens usually when it comes to some of these things is you hear a narrative, and I've always said the narrative is different than the truth. So the narrative comes out. There was a racial incident that happened. We'll get into the specifics in a minute. And then the the news media and everybody runs with it. Then what happens when it turns out that perhaps it wasn't true, you hear nothing. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about the fact that it was a lie. And so maybe, unless you're following the story or maybe a news junkie, maybe you only hear the first part, that there was something racial that took place and they're bad people for doing it, but then you don't hear about the the lie that was actually told and how it was debunked. So what am I talking about? August 26th, Duke University is playing a volleyball match at BYU, Brigham Young University. Now, BYU is a Mormon school, a religious school. So keep that in mind. Keep that little nugget in the back of your head because it's going to be relevant coming up in a little bit. But not for this particular story, but you'll see what I mean in a little bit. So Duke is playing at BYU. Duke's sophomore, Rachel Richardson, she accused, made allegations that she had been subjected to racist slurs every time she served the ball during a volleyball match. Okay. So she's serving the ball. Apparently BYU, the student section or some BYU fans are behind her. So as she serves, she hears these racial slurs. And so, um, well, I'll tell you what. Let's have uh, Rachel Richardson tell you what happened because she went on after the fact and went on to talk to the media. Her father also went on and talked to the media and did interviews to talk about it. Now, as I was looking, a note here, as I was looking for the video, I couldn't find the original interviews anywhere. It appeared that they may have been scrubbed from the internet. All I could find was portions of her interview on other people's comments. So I've got the interview here, but you might hear somebody else's comments. Uh, I think its name is Officer Tatum or something. I don't know. So those comments aren't necessarily what I'm talking about. So just kind of listen to her, although he does make some good points. So just listen to her, but I want to give you that disclaimer because I looked and looked and looked for the original, and I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it anywhere. Searched her name, searched some of the shows and the stations she had been on, and I couldn't find an original video of her comments and only I could find them on people's comments on their videos as they were commenting about them. And this is the cleanest one I could find. So listen to Rachel Richardson, Duke University sophomore volleyball player, telling you how she 
was the victim of racist slurs while serving the ball. At the end of the second set, I had gone back to serve. And, you know, they heckled throughout the entire game. That's just a part of sports. You get used to playing through extreme environments like that. And very distinctly, though, you know, I heard a very strong and negative racial slur. And then the next time I went back to serve, I heard it extremely clear again. And But that was the end of the game. And so we switched sides. And I went over to my, one of my one, a teammate that I'm just super comfortable, super close with. And I told her what had happened. And immediately she was like, all right, let's go tell coach. So she... So I, you're serving, you heard the slur, nobody else heard it but you. Because you want to tell your teammate that you was close to, and then she said, let's go tell coach. Nobody else heard this but this young lady. Nobody else heard it. Okay. She came with me, we told our coaches, and they went to the officials. The officials, we saw them. They got a whole video the about staff, this. And then um, we were told someone was speaking to the student section, and I was all right. So, And that was the end of it. And we played our third set on the opposite side of the net from them. And then the fourth set, when we went back to that side, it was almost as though, like, the atmosphere of the student section had changed. And even, like, my teammates who were on the bench, like, my black teammates who were on the bench who don't play, like, they were being called out, pointed at. It was really confusing as to why. And that's when the racial slurs and heckling, it just grew more extreme, more intense. Okay, according to her... In the second and fourth sets, the BYU fans are behind the Duke players. So Duke is actually on the side of the court where I guess the BYU fans or maybe the student section, whatever, is. So the second and fourth set. The second set, she hears the racial slurs. The fourth set, now the teammates on the bench are being called out and they're being pointed, and it's evident of what's going on, according to her. You just heard her words, okay? So, again, this hits the mainstream media, and everybody runs with it, and she ends up doing an interview. And like I said, the only place I could find her giving the interview was on other people's um, opinions, and so I couldn't find the original anymore. Why is that? Well, because investigations ensued. So BYU, they do the investigation. I believe Provo Police, maybe some other people, maybe an independent investigation took place. But there was a couple. And so BYU started, and they did the investigation. And they recently came out with the fact that their investigation, and an extensive investigation, as they call it, they looked at video. They looked at CCTV I think they even talked about or talked to and interviewed some of the people, found zero evidence to support the claim. No evidence. So immediately, there's pushback against BYU's investigation, calling it you know an inside job. They're just trying to cover. They're just trying to protect. So no one believes BYU and their investigation that nothing happened. In the meantime, I guess during that whole thing, there was a person that was identified or pointed out, that person, that fan, was kicked out of the arena and banned for life. Well, after the fact, when nothing was discovered to be true, apparently an apology was issued to the fan, and the ban was lifted. Okay. So, apparently it wasn't true. And then it wasn't until other people, like the police and other people that were investigating, came out with the same conclusion there was no evidence. In fact, some of the videos showed that there were 
some Duke officials in the area standing around, yucking it up, and they didn't react or have any reaction to anything that the fans were doing. And so it starts to unravel, just like many of the hoaxes do. So then the, the mainstream media doesn't talk about it anymore, and it goes away. Okay. Well, in the aftermath of that, South Carolina, their women's basketball team and their coach, Don Staley, and I guess the athletic director as well, canceled a series, a basketball series with BYU, and that came shortly after the, uh, the accusations and the allegations took place. So immediately, they cut the series. So that's before you find out anything happened. So again, what happens? More fallout. So now there's politicians in the South Carolina legislature, so the state legislature. They send a letter to South Carolina, and they ask some some questions that are pretty good questions to ask, okay? So you're making a judgment. You're making a decision based on something that happened to another player at another school by yet a third school that has nothing to do with South Carolina except for the fact that you're going to play them in basketball. So you cancel that series because they're racist. Well, it turns out they're not racist. Now, we should say at this point, which it should go without saying, that racism should never be tolerated. But as we say racism should never be tolerated, racism hoaxes should never be tolerated as well. So the University of South Carolina cancels their series and they get this letter from the state legislature. Will, asking these questions, will University of South Carolina reschedule with BYU and issue a public apology if the allegations continue to be shown as false? Still haven't heard whether or not they've apologized and reinstated that series. Is it now the policy of the university to forego or more concerning, ignore any fact-finding missions into allegations of wrongdoing? So, again, they're asking... Are you just going to make judgments without finding out what truly happened? Or how about this? Will the university be canceling all sporting events whenever any fan of any university against which the Gamecocks have an upcoming game is accused of acting inappropriately? And then more importantly, the question that hits home, is the University of South Carolina now taking responsibility for all of its fans, regardless of any relationship with the university? And that's the heart of the matter. So South Carolina now is going to cancel the game because somebody else's fans were allegedly racist to somebody else's player, and they made these judgments without the investigation being thorough. So now what if South Carolina and their fans start to get racist or say racist things? And, you know, it's a possibility. It could happen. Again, you're still dealing with a segregated South to a little bit of a degree. And there's that history there of racial segregation and racism in the South. So it's quite possible that it still exists. What's going to happen? And then finally, will the University of South Carolina decline any games with Duke University, given the verifiable racial and sensitive tweets by a member of the Duke's fan base? So now they're calling out Duke. So, again, it opens up this whole thing. So you can see where one little accusation now spreads to more and more and more issues. And this, and like I've always said, this one-size-fits-all answer that doesn't fit or one-size-fits-all solution doesn't fit because there's multiple layers 
to this problem now. So what if South Carolina, a fan, said something inappropriate? Is South Carolina going to do something? Are they going to take responsibility? Are they going to apologize to BYU for accusing them of being racist and counseling a series with them? I mean, what goes on? So the father went on a program, and this is what he had to say about the experience, and he kind of mentions some of the immediate aftermath of what she was going through and stuff like that. So this is the father of Rachel Richardson. So they, they, they made it known uh, what was happening, and uh, at the point uh, in between games, uh, the, the two different sets when it happened between the, the second and the fourth sets, uh, th- that's when they're at the student end of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the court. And at some point, they moved a police officer down to the student's end of the court. And, you know, perhaps that's, the, that's an action, but is that the only action that should be taken? Um, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I've been at sporting events. We've been in volleyball for 30 years. I have four daughters that have played the game, three at the college level. Um, we've always had that occasional, you know, idiot that's the, just, just there in the crowd, right? But, but never, never an atmosphere like this, you know, where she said that she felt uh, afraid. And she felt like, you know, hey, this was, you know, this was just something that 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 was hard. Okay, now his comments came before the release of the investigation. A police officer moved in the area. That was an action. But is that the only appropriate action? Well, no, of course not. An investigation ensued. We haven't heard from him after no wrongdoing was found in these investigations. He went silent, too. Why is that? Why do you make an accusation about something and then you go silent when that accusation is proven to be false. You lied about something is what it comes down to. You lied about something for some reason, and it's not true, and now you go silent. And even if, let's give the benefit of a doubt, although I don't think we can in this case because she was adamant and very descriptive in her detail as to what went wrong, especially in that fourth set when she said that fans, or I mean that that the fans were pointing to her black teammates on the bench and the bench if you've ever seen volleyball the bench is usually kind of in the back corner they usually stand in the back corner of the um of the court so like basketball usually on the side but volleyball they tend to huddle in the in the back corner so you would think other people might have heard these allegations as well on the team and they might have spoken up but only one person on the team heard it and that was rachel richardson and so now you have this whole thing just sitting out there in the, in the world of public opinion, in the world of racial relations, and this big mess because somebody told a lie, and nobody wants to call her out on it. And could you imagine if it was flipped? And we all know what would happen. But why do people do that? Why do you come up with a lie like that? We've often talked about on the show, you know, what's in the heart comes out, whether in action or in word. So it makes you wonder what's on her heart to come out with these lies. Now, again, going back to my, okay, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Okay, maybe she heard something in the second set when she was serving. Okay, so maybe she heard something. Okay, that's fine. You got to give validity to what she heard. But is her mind conditioned to now hear racial things? Is she conditioned to see racist things when they're not there? I mean, you see the swastika 
and immediately everybody thinks white supremacist, Nazi Germany, evil. Because that's what it was. But now we're in a day where people hear things and were so conditioned to race in the last, what, 10 years maybe? Racial relations have really drifted apart. We really have this racial divide and a political divide in our country too. We have this racial divide. And so now everybody's sensitive about everything. So are we looking, actively looking and seeking for that so that we can get some sort of validation that, yes, these people, these white religious people in Utah are racist? And then when it turns out that nothing happened and she lied, why is there any punishment for them? Why does the media come out? Because it doesn't fit a narrative. It doesn't fit the racial divide narrative that they want because they want this country divided because they don't want us getting along because if we do, then we might not listen to them. We might not follow their ideology. It goes back to the playground of an elementary school. You see kids of all races playing together, getting along, having fun, minus the usual childhood skirmishes. But they're getting along. And then somewhere those kids grow up, and now they hate each other based on the color of their skin. Why? What was taught to them? Well, who's teaching them? Makes you wonder. It makes you think. Now, you can go do your research on this and figure out for yourself what went down. But if you see that it was a lie, that there was no wrongdoing, and you do your own investigation into the information that's out there, and you're okay with her lying about it, then you're part of the problem. You have to call it out. You have to call it out and say this is wrong and this is therefore affecting the racial divide in our country. So now I mentioned earlier, remember, BYU is a Mormon religious school, okay? So Duke accuses BYU of being racist. Turns out to be not true. Everybody runs with it. And then when it turns out to be not true, everybody's silent. Well, the University of Oregon, the Ducks, they had to issue an apology for some of their students that were seen and heard, and it's all on video too, it's verified, chanting F the Mormons during the Ducks game against BYU, a football game. So Duck fans in the stands saying F the Mormons, F the Mormons as they chant, and you got people videoing it. The school released the uh, mea culpa on social media, calling their fan chants offensive and disgraceful, which it is. These type of actions go against everything the university stands for, and it goes against the spirit of competition, the school said. We can and will do better as a campus community that has no place for hate, bias, and bigotry. Good for the college. That should never be tolerated. What are you going to do about the students that are seen on video? And you can go online and see this for yourself. It's all over the place because everybody had their phone out. It shouldn't take place. Again, what's in the heart of people? Why would you do that? It's a football game, for heaven's sake. You're supposed to sit there and have fun. Why are you being racist? Why are you being bigoted? Religious bigotry. The chants broke out at Autzen Stadium in Eugene, Oregon, following the Cougars' touchdown in the second quarter of BYU's 41-20 loss, with multiple, multiple people screaming the crass comments while clapping their hands obviously doing it jubilantly. So the media goes silent, no outrage on this story. 
major outrage over the fake news, the lie that Richardson told from Duke, the racial story. But nothing. Why? Because they're Mormon or because it's a religion? Because it was white on white and there's no black involved? Or any racism involved? Do we not care about religious bigotry anymore? Got to ask these questions and find out why. Now, again, that's why we should turn off the TV, turn off the news media, because they only serve an agenda, which isn't your interest. They serve their own agenda, and a lot of them are a talking point for an ideology from the political realm. But you got to look back at Duke and be like, Duke, what are you thinking? Don Lemon or Don Lemon from CNN, whatever he calls himself these days, apparently he had uh, Hillary Fordwich on. So the Queen Elizabeth dies. And so for some reason, again, because of the world that we live in, the Queen dies. So he gets a, uh, a royal spokesperson, a royal commentator, maybe a royal historian on Hillary to talk about the passing. And then he brings up reparations, how the United Kingdom, Britain, because of their vast global empire at one point, should have reparations to slaves. I don't think he was expecting this answer, but the reason why I bring it up is because what does it have to do with the queen dying? We see race and everything. The media sees race and everything. People are looking to make race about everything. I mean, think about this. I'm going to play the clip in a minute, but think about this. If you were a, if you voted for the former president, you're racist, you're white supremacist, you're a bigot, you're transphobic, and it goes on and on and on. You're homophobic. You're anti-LGBTQI plus A or something that they are now. It goes on and on and on, and they throw that out there. It's almost like, remember Crying Wolf? Crying Wolf was, the story goes, there was a boy who was in charge of watching sheep to make sure that the wolf didn't come at night and get them. So he is out there in the field. So he's bored. Nothing's going on. So he cries, wolf. Wolf is here. Wolf is here. And everybody comes running. There was no wolf. So they chastise him, and he's laughing, the boy is, and they go back to wherever they went. They came from. Time passes on. He does it again. Wolf, wolf. Everybody comes running. There is no wolf. He's laughing, gets chastised again. Shouldn't do that. Third time, a wolf comes for real. He cries, wolf, wolf. Nobody comes. They all ignore him because they think he's joking or it's a hoax. And what happens? The wolf wipes out the entire herd. Okay? That's what it's gotten to with racism and these hoaxes. Racism is a real thing. But every time we start hearing these hoaxes, every time people lie about something happening to them, it makes everybody else think, wait a minute, they're just making it up. We see it all the time. And we'll get into some more examples in a minute. But that's what happens. When you cry wolf of racism, people stop believing that it's going to happen. People stop believing that it's real. People start now getting mad at those people for doing that and their supporters and calling them out. And then the divide grows and it gets bigger and bigger and the fight gets stronger and stronger. And so if people were to call them out and be like, you lied about this, that is wrong. You shouldn't do that and make them apologize for it, then what happens is we can heal together. And that's where reparations are, right? 
Reparations are pay the, the slaves, or I guess now descendants of slaves, for their time as a slave. And so that's where Don Lemon comes in, or Don Lemon from CNN, asks Hillary Fordwich about the United Kingdom. Should they pay reparations for slavery that went on in the world? And at the time, the British Empire was the biggest empire with influence around the world. And this is the response that he gets. And if you watch the video, so if you watch the video portion of our show, um, you'll see that his face is just expressionless because he did not expect this response. Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished uh, slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, In Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2000... Naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say, who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages? Absolutely. That's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died in the high seas trying to stop the slavery that those families should receive something too, I think at the same time. She makes a valid point. What about the people that were trying that gave their life trying to free slaves? Do they get reparations? They were trying to free the slaves. And I'm pretty confident that the sailors, at least she's talking about were white, not making this a racial issue, but they were probably white. Do they get reparations? Because, see, not everything is black and white. Not everything is this or that. Sometimes there is those situations, like take the racial divide in America, where people, let's say white people, are for the advancement of black people, where black people want to work together and be in a community with white people. But yet those people that are, let's say, more conservative, they're the Uncle Toms of this world. They're even talked bad about, lied about. Why is that? Why do you need black people to be the way you want them to be and not their way they want? It's almost like slavery hasn't ended because you don't want it to. It's like if they're independent thinking, I think Larry Elder, for example, he was a talk show host that then ran for uh, governor of California recently. He's called Uncle Tom all the time because he's a conservative black person. Or Candace Owens, another conservative black person. Not sure if she's been called anything. I'm sure she has. But I know for sure that Larry Elder has been called Uncle Tom. Probably one of the worst things that you could call somebody that is a black person. Because Uncle Tom was somebody that would do things for the white people to get out of maybe manual labor or getting punished or whatever during the slave time. A traitor, basically, to his people is what it was. Why is that? Why is Larry Elder and Uncle Tom just because he has conservative values, conservative views? Why is that? Why is Candace Owens one? So isn't that still a form of slavery by people calling them that, not letting them be free to be who they are? It's the same with the immigration problem that we're having at the border. They all want them to come in because they think they're going to vote Democrat. Well, we don't know that. We don't know anything about them, but that's what they think. 
And then if you try to close the border, you're racist, you're a bigot. So they go to that. Watch any nightly news. You will hear racist, bigot, transphobic, homophobic, anti-democracy. You hear that all the time. Guaranteed. At least one time per broadcast, you'll hear something like that. Why is that? Let's go back in time a little bit. Because here you had, again, Rachel Richardson, Duke University, accusing somebody of being racist. Well, shouldn't Duke have learned its lesson and maybe waited patiently to find out what transpired before they actually make comment and jump the gun, so to speak? Because, again, the player, which I'm all fine about doing an investigation, as it should be, waiting for the evidence to prove or disprove what happened. If she legitimately believes something happened, that's fine. I understand that. But maybe she should have held off running to the media until it was proven. And then maybe she should have came out with an apology that it was disproven. Well, so Duke back in 2006, the Duke lacrosse team had three white members falsely accused by Crystal Magnum, a black student at North Carolina Central University. She accused them of raping her at a party one night. So apparently they're all at a party. She's working as a stripper, adult entertainer, no judgments, but that's what she's doing. She comes to the party and she, I guess, dances. And somehow, some way, she ends up getting raped or allegedly says she gets raped. I don't even know if she was really raped or not. She might have just mentioned that. In fact, now that I think about it, I don't think she really was. I think she was just there dancing. But anyway, she accused people of raping her. Okay. So everybody defended her, said she is in the right, and these guys are guilty. And it got pretty bad. The American media, Duke University faculty, they all rushed to judgment And they devoted months to smearing these three lacrosse players and Duke University itself as racist. At the time, Duke was the number one lacrosse country team in the country. The coach was like one of the top coaches in lacrosse at the time, national championship coach. He lost his job. His reputation was smeared. The players' reputations were smeared. And again, you have faculty and the media saying that, These guys are guilty. Well, as it turned out, they weren't. It was fabricated. She made it up. They got off. The district attorney who was prosecuting them, even though he found out that her allegations were lies, he continued to try to prosecute them. He ended up getting disbarred and having to spend, I think, at least a day in jail. And another person that kind of perpetrated this whole thing was a reporter for the Boston Globe or one of the Boston newspapers. She got the story, and she started writing about it, and she wrote that these guys were definitely guilty. Had to have been it. Had to have done it. Well, as it turned out, she was a survivor of rape herself, so her personal beliefs, her personal experiences dictated it happened to her, so it must have happened to this gal, right? she had to write a retraction and issue an apology because she was wrong as a member of the media. Why don't we have that anymore? That's in 2006. So then what happened was Crystal Magnum said she made it up because she was in a custody battle 
and she didn't want uh, somehow the police were called to that night okay the police were called for something and so uh she said that she was raped but she was in a custody battle at the time and she didn't want a or people knowing that she was a stripper and so this was the narrative that she said so that her child wouldn't be taken away from her so here is crystal magnum talking about the situation a couple years later. So this is a couple years later after the fact. It's come out. The men, the the young boys, they're innocent. Or the young men are innocent. And this is what she had to say a couple years after the fact. No one deserves to be sexually assaulted, regardless of their profession or regardless of what they have done. I'm a real person. I have feelings. I'm not just an exotic dancer. I'm not just someone who tried to frame someone who was innocent of sexual assault. My only intentions were for justice, and I wanted justice for myself. I had a couple things. She mentions in there that she isn't just someone that tried to frame, so she admits it. But she's right in everything else. She shouldn't be sexually assaulted. She shouldn't be thought of as just a stripper because she's a person. We don't have to devalue somebody just because of who they are. And think about this. Think about how many times we devalue people on a daily basis. You can walk through the streets of Los Angeles and see 66,000 plus people devalued living on the streets. Nobody cares about them. Well, there's a few people that are trying to do that. Good people trying to do that. But I'm talking about all in all. Why are they still there? You look at people that, like this gal, a stripper. So, okay, maybe she deserved it because of her line of work. No, she's a person. She has value. She has worth. Unfortunately, she decided to make a wrong decision. And so then what happened? Well, Crystal Magnum then went and was charged Second-degree murder. She killed somebody, and she's spending 13 years in prison. So maybe what on her, what was on her heart wasn't something good and pure. Maybe it was something dark to make those accusations because then she went on to kill somebody. And that's why I'm surprised that Duke would jump the gun because they have a credibil- credibility problem now with this race issue because it happened to themselves, and it was a lie once. Somebody from the outside accused Duke of being racist for sexually assaulting somebody, three white boys on a black gal. Well, it proved that the three guys were innocent. Now you have a black Duke player accusing white people in BYU of being racist. Turned out to be a lie. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? It, it brings us back to the racial divide. If we're not going to be honest, if it's not going to be a two-way street, how can there be healing? How can there be reconciliation? How can there be a genuine coming together of people so that we can move forward in this country with what Martin Luther King wanted in his dream a long time ago.
How can we do that? You've got a media that is out there pushing a racist agenda. They want the divide. I mean, just look at BLM in the summer of 2020. Everything was okay. A CNN guy, he's out there with a building burning down behind him saying it's a mostly peaceful protest. you got the vice president bailing people out of jail. Everyone's saying it's okay that we do this. Why? And then you've got people of all color that are against that, saying that's not right. We shouldn't be burning down. Yes, we are for justice for all, but we should not be burning down our cities. In Minneapolis alone, how many black people or people of color lost their business? Maybe got hurt. How about the black police officers that were killed, but then were shouted down, defund the police? It's kind of like that. The, the greatest picture ever is a white person. There's this crazed white woman wearing glasses, screaming at a black police officer. And apparently that's Black Lives Matter. Intolerance in the name of tolerance. That's where we're at today. We're going to be intolerant until you see our point of view. And then when you see our point of view and you come to our side, then we'll be tolerant. And then everybody gets along. And you're no longer racist. You're no longer bigoted, transphobic homophobic, so on and so on. It's all to serve an agenda. And how can we have that harmony? How can we have that peace? How can we have that dream that Martin Luther King Jr. had at one point before he was assassinated for that dream? Even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. It seems like that table of brotherhood is no longer there. It's been removed from the American kitchen because people want the divide. People don't want us to get along. So how do we overcome that? It's quite simple. We don't listen to that narrative. We don't listen to the radical ideology of people wanting us to be separated. We check our hearts to make sure that we have a heart of love, compassion, because all men are created equal, despite the color of their skin. And again, it starts in the community. It starts in our neighborhoods. We might not achieve this immediately on a national level. We know the national level of politics is pretty messed up, the swamp as they call it, but we can do it in our communities. We can do it in our neighborhoods. We can do it in the people around us. 
our schools, our churches, our charity organizations. We don't have to sit there and follow the narrative. We can reach across that racial divide and invite people in. Have you ever experienced other people's cultures, foods, traditions? There's a lot of things out there that are a lot of fun that belong to other people's cultures. And it's great stuff, whether it be food. I think growing up in Los Angeles, you know, the Mexican culture was pretty affluent in my neighborhood. And you had the food. You had the celebrations. You had the family parties, the pinata. We talked recently about the uh, Toy Hall of Fame and how the pinata was up for inauguration into the Toy Hall of Fame. Have you ever done a pinata? Maybe you should go try it. It's a lot of fun. It's this big, like, paper mache. It could be anything. Fill it up with candy, and you beat the hell out of it till all the candy falls out and then rushes in and gets candy. That's a great tradition, a lot of fun. But it's okay to reach out. One of my uh, most favorite stories in life was, like I said, I grew up in L.A. And in my neighborhood, it was pretty diverse. We had, you know, Mexican people across the street. We had some Italians from my neighbors next door. Uh, we had some Asian people behind us. You know, it was, it was pretty mixed. And so um, I was exposed to a lot of different things. And L.A., as you know it, just in general, is pretty diverse. So I leave in 1996 to move to Iowa to start my career in radio. And so I'm living in this house, and my neighbors turn out to be Mexican, from Mexico, by way of Texas. They got married when they were 18 in Mexico, moved to Texas, didn't like the heat, so they decided to go to the snow, ended up in Iowa, and I became their neighbor. So they invite me over one night. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have some authentic carne asada, maybe some other traditional uh, Mexican dishes. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be great. Because, again, it's a taste of home, right? Because growing up in L.A., Mexican food is everywhere. In fact, now it's become Taco Tuesday. That tells you the influence of Mexican food, right? So I show up, and we sit down at the dinner table. And, again, I'm expecting this Mexican feast. What do I get? Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and corn. The most traditional American meal you could possibly get. Did it matter? No, it didn't matter because it was the hospitality that mattered. But again, it was that community of coming together. It didn't matter the the race. It didn't matter who we were. It was coming together. I just thought it was hilarious that I was expecting this Mexican feast and I ended up with an American meal because later I found out that they thought that that is what I wanted and didn't realize that I would enjoy their food, their culture. But see, if you communicate, you talk. I mean, think about, do we enjoy beer? I enjoy all kinds of beer. Mexican beer is actually pretty good. And so it goes on and on with that culture. But again, when it comes back to coming together, these hoaxes really hurt that racial divide. I mean, you think about Jesse Smollett, one of the most notorious hoaxes. Remember, everybody came out in support of him. He was attacked by white racists in Chicago on a freezing night. Not true. He set it up to try to advance his career. The noose was a rope his two co-conspirators had purchased for staging the attack. 
And I guess he was, uh, last time I checked, he was out on bail while he was appealing his conviction. He was convicted of a felony. And he's out on bail as he appeals that. Never heard of that before. Talk about special privilege. Or remember when the national narrative went the noose at NASCAR? The noose was found in Talladega, Alabama, at the racetrack in a garage assigned to a black NASCAR driver, Bubba Wallace. The FBI investigated, determined it to be one of several such ropes placed sometime the year before in in Talladega's garages, their door poles. Long before that garage was ever assigned to Wallace, but Wallace continued to maintain it was, in fact, a noose. Again, a lie that he ran with. Why? I can understand maybe initially the South, Alabama, probably Alabama and Mississippi in our history, the heartbeat of racism in America. But after the FBI, I think back then the FBI could be trusted. But even a weaponized FBI came out and said, no, it's just a part of the garage pole. And he still ran with it. Why? And again, the narrative was racism, racism, racism. Everybody came out in solidarity with him, and it turned out to be a lie. Again, the narrative and the truth oftentimes are polar opposites. And it continues. There was another one, lesser known hoax, that really hit the mainstream. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it was a uh, a dreadlock cutting hoax. A black student at a school in Virginia accused three white sixth-grade boys of cutting her dreadlocks off, calling her ugly. She lied about it. So what are we supposed to do with these hoaxes? It's like crying wolf. We stop believing when people actually have real hoax, uh, real attacks, real issues, because we think, oh, it's just another, another hoax, someone trying to get attention. And that's natural. I think that's a natural response because if these things go untouched, they're just allowed to happen, people are going to stop believing them. And then when something real happens, everyone's like, nah, just another media narrative of something wrong, and the truth will come out later. And then the new circle, uh, the new cycle dies, and then we don't know anything that happened. And that's what we have to get past. The media calling anyone who is conservative white supremacist, racist, bigoted, transphobic, homophobic, on and on and on. I mean, recently our president calling conservatives fascist and neo-fascists. Why? Why do we have to go to that? That's not true. That's not, that's a lie. Why do we allow racism to be the excuse? Go to the race card right uh, right away. Why is that? It harms the racial relationships that we have in this country. Larry Elder is an Uncle Tom. He's black, but he has conservative values. He's Uncle Tom. Why? Because he doesn't believe the liberal narrative that's out there? The hate and racism driven in this country comes from the very people who are racist and haters. You always got to go to the source. Look at the source of the people. It's always the ones that cry the loudest that are usually the ones doing the wrongdoing. They're the same people who are intolerant in the name of tolerance. If you do not agree with their ideology, you're called names. The race card is played. And it's the first thing nowadays that's played. Anything, name anything. And if it disagrees with the news narrative, it's racism, white supremacist, bigotry, even though there's zero evidence of that. And therefore, then people turn it out. 
They turn it off, tune it out. And so the, so when it comes down to it, really when it comes down to it, we talk about the heart. When it comes down to people wanting to push this narrative, this racial divide, make it greater, make it stronger so that we don't get along. I think actually we have to check ourselves to make sure that our heart is okay and to make sure that we're not judging people inappropriately because we don't want to be on the opposite end of that and automatically jump to, oh, you're lying. So again, we have to do the investigation, allow the process to play out. But if you continue to push the lies and the false narrative of these hoaxes, you might want to check your heart because it might be it might be dark in there. It might be some evil in there. Because why would you do that? Why would you push a lie? Make up something that isn't true. Go on the news media circuit to promote what happened. And then not say anything, not apologize when it's proven to be false. And then on the flip side, remain silent when religious bigotry is happening against a religious university. You got to check your motives. You got to check your value system. There's a lot of people that would sit there and call them both out. Okay, something, a racial slur might have been said at a game, BYU, Duke. Let's investigate. Let's check it out. Let's make sure that these claims are true, and let's deal with it if it is true. We got to do that. Turned out to be not true. Let's deal with her now. Why did you do this? You owe people an apology. South Carolina, you jumped the gun, canceled a series with BYU. What are you going to do to apologize? Okay, how about all of you that were quiet when Oregon was chanting F the Mormons? They need to be called out. At least the university did something about it when nobody else did. And I think it's the action of these people. you got to call it for what it is, evil. They want to keep the country divided in order to achieve their ideological agenda. Keep the people of this country from uniting against them, the ones who are actually causing the problems. You know, there was a story I used to, when I was working at the radio station or a radio station in L.A., um, there was a gal that wanted to have an internship for school. And so we worked it out so that she could come and intern on our show. She was also, I guess, in the sales department of our um, station as well. And so I got to know her pretty well. And so after the internship was over, she kind of left the station, went back to school full time and decided to um, pursue other things. And so we got together one time, and this was about 2016, shortly after the 2016 election, and she got really radical really quick. And we'd have, like, sincere discussions on things, okay? We could talk about some serious issues and never have any problem, even issues, whether it be politics, whether it be religion, whether it be relationships, whatever it was, we could have some serious conversations. actually really healthy, and she was a black gal, and I'm a white guy. So how Different can you get, male, female, black, white. And again, we would have some serious conversations, and they were healthy, and they were good, and we would advance our ideologies together, and we'd have understanding, and it was really good. But then all of a sudden, she got a little nutty. I don't know if she felt entitled or what the deal was, but she made comment that, like, you know, President Trump getting elected was like the new Jim Crow, I looked up Jim Crow just to make sure I was okay with uh, my understanding of Jim Crow. And basically, they were laws that segregated. Black people had to use this restaurant, these uh, drinking fountains, like couldn't do things that white people could do, okay? And so that was Jim Crow. Well, there is none of that today, even though the media would like you to think there is. But a black person can go anywhere white person goes. A Latino person can go anywhere anyone else goes. There is no segregation, 
legally, okay? And she got really adamant and said, you can't tell a black woman what to do anymore or what to think or what they should believe. I'm like, what happened to the dialogue? What happened to the conversation that we're having? Why did you get so radical? Needless to say, I haven't talked with her in a long time because she wouldn't have dialogue. I think one of the greatest stories that we can pull from, Jackie Robinson comes to the Dodgers. He's going to break the color barrier of Major League Baseball. Red Barber is the Dodgers play-by-play announcer at the time. And so he is told that this was going to happen. And so let me share his words with you, or I should say let him share his words with you and think about this. Think about how profound Red Barber is in his comments. A black player coming to his team where he's going to have to announce. Red Barber's from Mississippi, grew up in a segregated Mississippi. Like I said, probably Mississippi and Alabama, the heartbeat of racism in America at the time. And he tells the story about what went down. Of course, it was a shock to me when Mr. Ricky told me in confidence that he was going to bring a black player. He told me this before the Avenue Robinson was coming. He told me this in March of 1945. And he didn't come in touch with Robinson himself until late that year. But I knew Mr. Ricky when he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. And I had to examine myself. Of course, Mr. Ricky gave me time to either make up my mind to broadcast properly through a very stormy period or quit. And my first reaction was, when I came home, told Lala that I said, I'm going to quit. I don't think I can go through with this. And she said, well, very wise woman. She said, you don't have to quit right now. Let's have a martini. And I began to think about it as the days went by. And I had to understand that it was by chance that I was born white. I could have been born black. I could have been born uh, to any, any parents, any place, any time. Judge Landis was not dead. And as I wrestled with myself, I heard the voice from the grave saying, report. And that's all I was to it. That's all, the, all I did about Robinson. I merely reported him. And he did the rest. There's a lesson to be learned there from Red Barber. First of all, you've got to give major credit to Branch Rickey, giving him time, knowing that this is coming. You decide whether or not you want to stay. Think about it. And then, of course, his wife. You don't have to quit right now. Let's have a martini. But the key word, or the key words, Red Barber had to examine himself. He had to take a look at his beliefs. He had to take a look at his core, his heart. What is it that I'm going to do? Initially, it was quit. But after examining himself, he decided he was going to report. Because he realized, like he said, just by chance he was born white. Just by chance Jackie Robinson was born black. We don't have a choice in the matter. It's not like we picked or choose our race. It was chosen for us. So why are we now being segregated? And why are we segregating? Why are we being racist, bigoted, etc.? No matter who you are or what your belief system is, why are you doing that based on something that you nor I nor anybody else have control over? 
Because if we had control over it, then maybe things might be different, but we can't. Just by chance, Red Barber happened to be white. Just by chance, I happen to be white. Just by chance, you might happen to be mixed or something else. And so why do we fight about it? Why do we let others dictate to us what we should believe? When we know in our hearts, we know in our cores, if we examine ourselves, we should see that all people are created equal. That Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream should have been seen by now. It should have come true by now. But it hasn't because there's people out there trying to push a narrative that continues to divide us. And when you get hoaxes like these that we've talked about, it only hurts and does damage. And those fringe people, it gives them fuel to continue to push that fringe movement and to take negative action. And just because it's like a ripple effect, just because one thing maybe became null and void, the ripple effect is going to affect everybody else where somebody else might do something. So think about the difference. And then, so Red Barber decides he is just going to report and he allowed Jackie Robinson to be Jackie Robinson. And look how great Jackie Robinson became. Look how great Jackie Robinson was for enduring all that. Imagine if Red Barber decided he was going to stay, but be critical and be racist. First of all, I don't think Branch Rickey would have kept him. But it would have been a much different story because the narrative was different. Imagine if we had the media today back in the era of Jackie Robinson. My goodness, we would have had another civil war. You're talking about what, the 1940s? Unbelievable, the difference that someone examining themselves and decided to report and let the player do the talking. That's what we need to do. We need to just be ourselves and realize that by chance, we are just all who we are. Or maybe if you're a spiritual person designed by God, created for a purpose, but we had no control over who our parents are. And so we're born into this world. And because of that, we shouldn't treat somebody differently just because the color of their skin, but we should hold people accountable for their actions. And if you're going to hold people accountable for their actions, for being racist, bigoted, homophobic, whatever, then you should hold them accountable if they lie about it, if they make false accusations about it. Because then we will get balance. And if we get balance, then we can start to heal the racial divide. And instead of moving backwards away from Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, we can start moving closer to it again. Because at one point we might have been getting there but not anymore. And it's everything that's going on. And again, it starts in your community. It starts in your neighborhoods, your schools. It starts with you. It starts with me. If we make that decision, then at least we're making a stand that I'm not going to tolerate this. I want a better world. I'm going to move forward. Two Steps Ahead podcast. Check us out on our website, radiowarp.com. That's radio, W-A-R-P. RadioWarp.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube and SoundCloud accounts and never miss an episode. Listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.